In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study today chapter 20 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Uh, the main points of this chapter is about gospel obedience, how we need to be obedient to the Word of God, the danger of a mercenary spirit, uh, love of money, and the importance of humble service. The importance of humble service. Uh, let's start, you know, the beginning of this chapter, the first 16 verse is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So let me read some verses from this chapter. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Uh, before we start interpreting these verses, I want to remind you that the last verse in chapter 19, which actually is before this parable, the, the last verse, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. This parable the workers in the vineyard is only mentioned in the gospel of St. Matthew. No other gospel mentioned this parable. And this parable is about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the new covenant, the church of the new testament, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to establish. That's why this parable is about new Israel. We are new Israel. We are the new people of God. The Christian are the new Israel. And it is about the new covenant church or the church of the New Testament. The Lord composed this parable to explain the last verse in chapter 19 when he said but many who are first will be last and the last will be first so this king this parable is to explain this verse and by the way at the end of this parable the lord will repeat the same verse he will say many who are first will be last and last will be first so before the parable it's mentioned and at the end of the parable it is mentioned and here the Lord is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a vineyard and Jesus Christ himself is the householder or the landowner this title the householder Rabbil Beit or the landowner, uh, it seems 
one of the uh, most repeated titles about the Lord Jesus Christ and he himself is delighted to call himself the householder. It's repeated in the Gospel of St. Matthew in Matthew 10.25, Matthew 13.27, Matthew 13.52. The vineyard originally referred to the house of Israel as we read in Isaiah chapter 5. But now the vineyard refers to the new Israel, to the Christian, to all the believers. The Lord, as we read in John chapter 1, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Came to Israel, to his own people, but Israel did not receive him, did not accept him. That's why whoever believed in him, he gave him the authority to be children of God, which means to be the family of God, to be the people of God, to be member of his household. So the Lord Jesus Christ came to claim his kingdom, the vineyard. And when Israel rejected him, he claimed his kingdom from among the Gentiles. And just a quick explanation. The first who became last is Israel. And the last who became first is the Gentiles. And we see here how the household, uh, the landowner, went out early in the morning. Early in the morning, maybe this refers to the beginning of his ministry, when actually he called the twelve disciples. But early in the morning also can refer when God called Israel from all nations in the Old Testament. And he agreed with them to, uh, for their wages, like the, he made a contract to give them a denarius. So one denari or one denarius is the full price of a day's labor at that time. What denarius actually equal about 16 cents. But if we want to translate it in our language today here in America if uh, the wage of uh, a liberal per day say $80 or $100 then actually we can say one denarius equal $100 or $80 based on the wages of the liberals today verse 3 and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. The Jews used to divide the day 
And their understanding of the day is not the 24 hour. The day for them is from sunrise to sunset. And they used to classify the day into 12 equal segments. Many you know, it depends on the season. Sometimes from sunrise to sunset are more than 12 hours or less than 12 hours. Like in winter, it is less than 12 hours. In summer, it is more than 12 hours. So they used to classify it into 12 segments. Qual. But if we say sunrise to sunset from 6 to 6, then the third hour will be around 9 a.m., 9 o'clock in the morning. And the marketplace is where the laborers usually stood till they were hired. Somebody hires them. So the marketplace here represents the world in which we are living. I want you to notice with the workers of the first hour, he agreed with them on one denarius. So there was a contract. But with the workers of the third hour and the sixth hour and ninth hour, he did not make a contract with them. He told them, whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right, I will give you. And they agreed and they went which actually uh, explained to us the implicit trust in the equity of the householder. They believed that he is a just and righteous man. So although there, were, there was no contract, but they agreed to go and work, and they trust that he will give them you know, uh, what they are worthy of. Verse 5, again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So, sixth hour is noon, ninth hour is 3 p.m. He did likewise. And again, he sent them without contract, but on the same general promise of giving them as much as they could reasonably expect. And now, the day it's almost over because the day is about 12 hours. When I mean day, I mean from sunrise to sunset. But although the day is almost over, but still there was work to be done in the vineyard. That's why he went in the 11th hour. So people who will work, who were hired in the 11th hour, they will work only for one hour. But the laborers who had been first hired were not enough. 
And when he asked them the question, he told them, why uh, you are idle until now? They said to him, because no one hired us. They give an excuse. But St. John Chrysostom has a comment about this excuse. He see St. John Chrysostom said, this excuse is not a valid excuse. St. John Chrysostom said, this is the voice of the liberals only in excuse for their not having entered upon their work before this late hour. For the master of the vineyard had shown his willingness to hire them all by going out early for that purpose. The fact that this householder went very early in the morning, if he found all of them, he would have hired them. So this is not the fact. Nobody hired us. No. The fact is, you were not there early enough to be hired. But in spite of this, St. John Chrysostom continues and says, Though the fault there was their own, it was their own fault. He does not upbraid them but abstains from all harshness and severity that he may the more easily engage them. And he hired them and told them, go uh, to work in the vineyards. Which means, as the Lord said, the harvest is plenty and the laborers are few. So, Many workers, many servants are needed in the season of the harvest. What is the season of the harvest? It is a symbolic of gathering the believers into the church of God. Bringing people, more believers, adding to the church those who are saved every day. Verse 8. So when evening had come the owner of the vineyard said to his steward call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first one of the rules of the law of Moses is to pay the laborers by day not by week, not by month as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 15, to pay the laborers by day. And the householder kept this law. So in the end of the day, in the evening, he called his steward. And he asked him something very strange. He told him to begin with the last to the first. And this order is not without its significance. As I said in the beginning, the Lord gives this parable in order to explain his statement. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So this was a practical illustration of the words which had introduced the parable. 
the last should be the first. So, verse 9, And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. So they received the same wages that was in the contract with those who were hired in the first hour. Like the Gentiles who believed in Christ received the same uh, inheritance, heavenly inheritance, like the Israelites who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. So, the people who worked from the first hour, according to them, they had been in the heat of the day, so they said, because he paid the workers of the eleventh hour one denarius, so he will pay us more. He will pay us not according to the contract, but according to the time of the labor. So if he gives those who work at one hour one denarius, maybe they expect to have twelve denarius. But here the Lord wants to point out the spirit of greediness. You remember in the last chapter, chapter 19, when the Lord told them, uh, go sell all what you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Peter asked the Lord Jesus Christ a question. And he told him, we left all, we left wives, children, land, so what would we receive? You can find this question in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, the last chapter. So of course here Peter is saying, we left all. It's the same spirit of the workers of the first hour. We work it all day. So are we going to receive more? The words of Peter is like this. We left all and followed you. So what would we receive? Are we going to receive more than any other person? That's why this parable was designed once for all to put down among the servants of Christ that what Christ will give us, it is a free inheritance. It is not a reward, but it is a gift. It is not a reward, but it is a gift. No work is worthy of the kingdom of heaven. So salvation is not a reward. It's not a wages, a salary. It is a free gift from God who loved us. So, verse 12, verse 11, And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men 
have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. So they actually murmured and complained because he worked all day. It is like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. It's the same complaint. I have been with you here. I never left your house. And you never give me even one sheep to celebrate with my friends. But my brother, or your son, he did not say my brother, but your son, who wasted all your money with harlots, when he came, you killed for him the fatted calf. Actually, I'm expecting to be paid more. And I'm sure you know in the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother represents the Jews and the younger brother represents the Gentiles. So it's the same concept here. And when they said, we have borne the burden of the heat of the day, so this may be regarded as man's estimate of his own merit which actually is not the divine estimate. These words echo what Peter said, what shall we have? We who left all and followed you, what shall we have? So these words echoed what Peter said. But the Lord answered, as we read in verse 13, But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eyes evil because I am good? So here the landowner, he told him, I actually fully complied with the contract. The contracts say, you will take one denarius. We had an agreement. And I paid you as I promised you. If I choose to give one more penny to another man, even if he labors or works for a little, or not at all. Isn't this my money? If I choose to give all my properties away to others, this should not affect the contract between you and I. Why are you complaining? I give you what we agreed upon. So, there was no ground of complaint, but envy. Here we can see the spirit of envy and the spirit of love of money. When the Lord told, told him, take what is yours, it looks like this particular worker have refused the denarius and give it back to the landowner. That's why he told him, Take what's yours. And then he told him, 
is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own thing? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Evil eye among the Jews meant a malicious, covetous, or envious eye. That's the evil eye. So the Lord here actually is explaining to him and showing him that the spirit that moved him to complain is the spirit of envy. Spirit of envy. So envy and jealousy was the reason for the uh, complaint here. And this reminds us with the complaint of Cain. When Cain actually was angry with God because he accepted the sacrifice of Abel and God rejected the sacrifice of Cain. It's the same envy and jealousy which led to murder. Cain killed Abel. It's the same reason why the chief priests and the Pharisees were seeking to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because also of envy, the evil eye. It is also the same sin, envy, that prevented many old covenant Jews. The old covenant refers to the covenant with Israel. Made the Jews and the Israelites not welcoming the Gentiles into the church of God. And they wanted to put a law Unless you become a Jewish, you cannot be a part of the church of God. It's the same spirit. The spirit of envy. So, here, what did the Lord mean by the 12 hours of the day? Maybe it refers to the salvation history. So those who called first are the Israelites of the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with Israel. So these who were called very early in the morning at the dawn of the corporate covenant, who complained about the hardship of their length of service. All the 12 hours can illustrate the time from the creation to the end of the world. Or another interpretation, the 12 hour can refer to the human life. And by different hours refer to infancy, youth, the age of adulthood, old age. Last hour is the man's old age. So you can interpret the 12 hour in either way. And God is the master and disposer of all. And by his grace, he calls some sooner and calls some later. But he will call everybody. Then the Lord concluded uh, the parable by saying in verse 16, 
So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few chosen. And as I told you before the parable, he said many who are first will be last. So before the parable and after the parable, he repeated the same rule. Which means this parable was given to explain what did he mean by the first will be last and the last will be first. So the Lord composed this parable to show that the Gentiles, so called later than the Jews in the 11th hour, should be made partakers of the promises made to the Jews. The same promises to be from the family of God, to be children of God. I will call those who are not my people, my people, and those who are not my beloved, my beloved, as we read in Hosea. Uh, so, this saying was mentioned before the parable and uh, after the parable and give us explanation why the last workers are paid first. Uh, and this parable here is about the struggling church or the militant church, not the triumphant church. You know, those in paradise of joy, we call them the triumphant church or victorious church, Kinesa al-Muntasra. And here we are the struggling church or militant church, Kinesa al-Mujahada. The Jews, after bearing the yoke of the law of Moses for so many ages, received nothing more than what was promised to the observance of that law. But we, Christians, who received a more plentiful reward, although we were under the easy yoke, the easy labor and the sweet yoke of the gospel, The law of Moses was a burdensome and a heavy yoke. But the yoke of Christ is a sweet yoke and it's easy labor. But at the end, the Jews and the Gentiles received the same reward. It's exactly like the word of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 13 when he said they will come from the east and west, from north and south and sit down in the kingdom of God. So these are the last who made first and indeed there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. Yes, the Jews we expect them to complain because they worked for a longer time, they under the burden of the law of Moses, uh, they are the first nation who believed in God, but the Lord taught them here that they should not expect to be preferred to others who in these respects have been far posterior to them like the Gentiles. 
But the Jews actually, unfortunately, they expected themselves and put themselves superior to any other nation. Then the Lord said, For many are called, but few are chosen. In Matthew chapter 19, we read about the calling of the rich man. But this rich man did not follow Christ because of his money and went his way sorrowful. So, these words, many are called but few are chosen, links the parable also to the encounter with the rich young man, whom the Lord called to be one of his disciples, to want to be of his laborers in the harvest of the soul. But this calling required a sacrifice, required to sacrifice his money to carry his cross and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was not prepared to accept it. That's why many are called, but few are chosen. Those who did not come at the invitation of the householder to work in the vineyard will not receive a denarius. Those who refused to accept the invitation, to accept the calling, will not receive the denarius or any wages, simply because they did not follow. In the same way, those who refuse the calling of Christ to believe in Him, and to obey the gospel actually will not have part in the eternal life. Verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify and the third day he will rise again. From the time when the Lord asked the disciples who do men say that I the son of man am. And this happened in Caesarea Philippi. From that time to the, this moment, it was about six months. So, for six months from the confession at the Caesarea Philippi, when Peter said to him, You are Christ, the son of the living God. The Lord had been trying to prepare the twelve disciples about his death. And now actually he is coming closer, closer to enter Jerusalem. Now he is on the east side of the Jordan on his way. Yes, they went to Jerusalem several times before. But this time is different. Because he entered Jerusalem as a lamb for a sacrifice. To be crucified. So here for the third time, 
the Lord Jesus Christ foretells his death to the twelve. In this time, the Lord gave more detailed information about his crucifixion, what would happen to him than the previous two times. And we notice that he took them aside, to the side, ala infrad, or apart. Why? Why he took them apart? It was necessarily and very fitting that his discourse about his suffering will not be declared to many. Neither to be spoken plainly because there was no advantage from sharing this information plainly. Yes, implicitly, he actually declared this to the public when he said, destroy this temple uh, and I will build it in three days. And also when he said, a sign shall not be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. So the disciples, when they heard Jesus speaking about his death, they were confused. Because as the rest of the Jews, they believed that the Messiah would be immortal. But Jesus here is speaking about his death. That's why when St. Luke mentioned this incident, he said they did not understand. He did not understand and they were confused. Uh, but the Lord actually revealed this to them so when it will be fulfilled on a future day they actually will recollect what the Lord Jesus told them and they will believe more firmly in him the Lord told him that he will die by crucifixion the punishment of crucifixion was a Roman punishment, not a Jewish one. So the chief priest condemned him to crucifixion, but the Roman executed the sentence. Uh, actually, they did not know that by the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will open the door for the Gentiles, those who are last, to be first and to be equal with those who were first to the Jews. So they heard about the crucifixion, but did not understand that this sacrifice will be an atonement for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews, atonement for the sin of the whole world. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Here upon the 
Lord Jesus Christ informing his apostles that he would die and rise again, the disciples perceived that after his resurrection, he will immediately reign in Jerusalem and restore the kingdom of David. Also the Lord, in previous chapter, chapter 19, he promised them that in the regeneration, the twelve will be seated on twelve thrones to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. So they said now, the Lord just told us he will go to Jerusalem, he will die, he will be risen after three days, then the regeneration will happen, and Jesus will restore the kingdom of David and will be seated on 12 thrones. So Salome, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came, and of course she understood the words of the Lord literally about earthly kingdom, kingdom of Israel. So she came and asked that her sons might take the precedence and be honored by the other apostles. So one will be on his right hand and one on the other hand in his kingdom. Unfortunately, they did not learn from the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ just said. They did not learn how to be humble and to take the last seat, not the first seat. So again, James and John with their mother expected that they should receive more than others, honor, more honor than others. And they will be the closest to the Lord in the regeneration. Here in Matthew, we hear that Salome came with her two sons, but in the Gospel of St. Mark, we find that the sons themselves made this petition. So, apparently, James and John participated with their mother in asking to be on his right hand and the left hand. Verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, they said to him, we are able. Apparently they did not know what commitments they were making when they expressed their willingness to drink from the cup of Jesus. Maybe they thought it is a cup of honor and glory and happiness, not a cup of death and suffering. That's why in verse 23, the Lord told them, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. The Lord told them, you don't know what you are asking. 
you are asking about honor and you are asking about honor to be given to you based on connection and relationship but this will be given based on merit Uh, maybe for for, uh, John and James the sons of Zebedee when the Lord spoke about the cup they were thinking about what's mentioned in Isaiah 25 verse 6 on this mountain the Lord of hosts will provide for all people a feast of rich food and choice wines so maybe we're thinking about this cup but the Lord was speaking about another cup the cup of suffering the cup of God's wrath that he will accept in his sacrifice for the sins of the people as we read in Isaiah 51 verses 17 and 23 and the cup of the wrath of God there are many references in the scripture about this cup the Lord told them you will drink from this cup but not now but in the due time you will drink from the same cup when you will understand your calling and you uh, be willingly to meet all its risk and hardships you will drink from the same cup which actually was fulfilled because we read in Acts chapter 12 that James was killed by King Herod and he was the first apostle among the 12 to suffer martyrdom at Jerusalem St. John, ba- uh, John the Beloved at Rome he was put in cauldron of boiling oil and after this he was exiled to Patmos so both of them they drank from the cup the baptism when the Lord said to be baptized with the same baptism baptism actually is an ordinance by which we are joined to the Lord in covenant and communion to die with the Lord and to be risen with the Lord to suffer with the Lord so baptism means here also it is a cup of suffering One of the verses that Arius used against Athanasius to say that Jesus is not God, when the Lord said, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. So he said now, there is no equality between the son and the father Jesus said it is not mine to give it is only for those who prepared by the father but the Lord did not say that it does not belong to him to give what the disciples asked but the Lord meant he could only give it according to his father's will and the law which he had fixed it is not mine to give uh, means 
you are not deserving this right now. Why? Because of the pride. When you ask to be preferred than the rest of the apostles, there is pride here. So on account of your pride, I cannot give you this now. But be humble, and then heaven will be prepared for you as well as for others. So this word, the Arians, the followers of Arius, objected these words against Christ's divinity. But St. Augustine explained uh, these words could be true if we are talking about Christ as if a man. But, as St. Augustine said, it was not his to give to them while they were in those dispositions of pride and ambition. It's not his to give to them while they were in the dispositions of pride and ambition. So, the distinction that's made here, it is not between the father and the son. The distinction is not between the father and the son. As if the father could give something and the son could not give it. But the distinction is between the persons who are worthy and those who are not worthy. Those who are prideful are not worthy to give this honor because it will be given only to the humble. Verse 24 And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Again, a spirit of envy, jealousy, pride. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. So the Lord here again is repeating this lesson of humility over and over. If you want to be honored and be on the right and left hand, You need to be the last of all and the servant of all. Uh, of course, the other disciples became angry and displeased. Why James and John received such an honor? So, these other ten were also wrong because of their anger and, and jealousy. Uh, And their anger and jealousy had been outspoken, but not in the immediate presence of the Lord. But the Lord to calm down the situation and to extinguish this anger, then actually he differentiated between the rule of the Gentiles, the people who do not know God, and the rule of the Christian. He said, among the nations... The princes lorded over the people. But in the church, it should not be like this. In the church, 
you should not ask to be superior. And also, if you are a leader in the church, don't brag over it, but humble yourself. So, the ecclesiastical rule is founded in humility and brotherly love. It is derived from Christ himself who came to serve us and not to be served. As he gave himself example in verse 28 when he said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, so here the Lord gave himself as an example of being humble and a servant. And not only a servant, but the suffering servant. Uh, so again, Jesus returned to the theme of the last goes first and the importance of humility and serving one another. So, the question that started in chapter 18, verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And again, the Lord, during these three chapters, 18, 19, and 20, he explaining who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest is the humble and the servant of all who choose to be the last. God will make him the first. After Gethsemane and the crucifixion, this question was not raised again. In the 16th and 17th centuries, the Prutans, which is all the strict English religious group, they said, based on these words, that there is no hierarchy in the church. No bishops, no priests, no deacons, no laymen. There is no hierarchy in the church. And the worship should be simple. Uh, and they were actually referring to this part of the scripture that all superiority is forbidden. But here actually, what's forbidden? Because as we read in the letter of St. Paul, there are ranks, bishops, priests, deacons. So what's forbidden here is not the hierarchy, but what's forbidden is the pride, the arrogance. That's what's forbidden. So, if you are a leader in the church, you need to acquire a humble spirit to be like a servant of all and the least of all. And the Lord Jesus Christ points them to his own example. He actually is a fulfillment of the prophecy about the suffering servant in Isaiah. The word ransom here, he gave his life a ransom for many. Means what? Means that the Lord Jesus Christ will pay his life. He will sacrifice his life on the cross in order to bring to liberation and freedom many uh, people as we read in Isaiah 53 and verse 12. Uh, and what is the ransom here? 
he was in the form of God in heaven, but he emptied himself and he took a form of a servant. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He did not come with glory, but as a man in humble life. And he did not ask anybody to serve him, but he served others. He washed the feet of the disciples. So he paid his life in service and on the cross as a price to redeem all the captives from the captivity of sin and to give us liberation and freedom. Now, as he went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. So, if you study the geography of this area, they moved from the east of Jordan to the west of Jordan, near Judea, and Jesus and his disciples now on the west side of the river near Jericho. Verse 30, And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So, this next encounter is given in contrast of the persistent spiritual blindness of the disciple. Why I'm saying spiritual blindness of the disciples? Because of their failure to fully comprehend the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ about humility and service. They were still asking for honor. They are envious of one another, jealous of one another. Matthew said they were two men who were blind. But Mark and and Luke mentioned only one person who was blind, Bartimaeus. So maybe they were two, but Bartimaeus was uh, more known than the other one. That's why when they mentioned Bartimaeus, they referring to the well-known blind person. They cried and said, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Verse 31, Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. When a soul begins to cry to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be enlightened and to be saved, the world and the devil will do like the multitude. They actually will ask us to be quiet and to be silent. But what I like about these two blind men, they did not listen to the voice of the world, but rather they cried more and more and more. Verse 32, So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received the sight, and they followed him. Their faith here saved them. 
the faith in action. Let us see what did they do. Number one, they asked about Jesus when he was passing by. They were blind, so they asked the people, when Jesus passed by, let us know. They cried to him as the Messiah, son of David. This title, son of David, is a title kept for the Messiah. They asked for mercy, have mercy upon us. They kept on crying when the multitude tried to stop them. They cried out because they were earnestly need the mercy of Christ. And when they permitted, they actually hurried and ran to Jesus and asked of him to receive their sight. So the Lord here responded to them. And the Lord responded as he told us, ask and you shall receive. He does not object to the title son of David. He does not object to the title son of David. Because this title son of David is kept only for the Messiah. Here we can see two blind men, but their internal eyes, spiritual eyes were opened to know that he is the Messiah. So although physically they were blind, but spiritually they were not blind. They were able to discern and to call Jesus the Messiah, son of David. Actually, these two blind men called him the Messiah. And the Canaanite woman called him son of David, the Messiah. It is ironic that the blind who cannot see the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did, and this Gentile woman from Canaan were able to see in Jesus the Messiah while the people of the Old Covenant, the Jewish people, they could not acknowledge him as the Messiah and they considered him as blasphemer when he said that he is the Messiah. Uh, we may actually, when we see a person physically blind, we may consider and look upon him as a very great misfortune. But the real misfortune is not the physical blindness, but the spiritual blindness. Physical blindness will deprive me from the light of the day, which will make me to distinguish material object. But spiritual blindness will deprive me from grace and glory, which actually make me not able to distinguish the Son of God and know the truth about the Son of God. So, now the Lord Jesus Christ is passing by in order to give sight to the blind. And he is passing by and calling you. If your eyes, internal eyes still blind, that you may call upon him and saying, have mercy on me, son of David. 
Because if he went away, then this opportunity may not come again. Passing by. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is at all times willing to save the sinners when we have the desire to follow him. And he will respond immediately. He told them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And if it is according to my will, surely I will fulfill it for you. And these two blind men, when they received their sight, they followed him. Because none follow Christ blindly. If you follow Christ, you will not be blind anymore. So, first, by his grace, he opened their eyes, physical eyes. And now, he draws their hearts after him. This concludes chapter 20. Uh, glory be to God forever. Amen.